Welcome back. Today we're going to be looking at Romans 13 and Romans 14, and we're going to see if there are any historical references for the situation the church finds itself in today. Saturday nights, our family always has family movie night. Pizza, chips, and a movie. And this Saturday, we watched the new Disney movie, Safety. Now, this is a story of a guy named Ray. And Ray is a Clemson football player whose mother is a drug addict. And he's left to raise his younger brother. He quickly realizes that it's basically impossible to do school, play football, and raise a 10-year-old kid. He needs help. But the problem is... The NCAA rules state that a student athlete cannot receive any help for him or his family. So Ray has to choose between his brother and playing football. Now, there's a really moving scene where Ray and his brother enter a building for the hearing. And after they enter, the doors open again and in walks every single member of the football team. One at a time, they file into the room to show They support Ray. It's a really moving scene. And as I watched the scene unfold, I thought, this is family. This is what the Christian community should be doing. Standing side by side in support of the brothers who need to know they are not alone. I'm speaking right now to pastors and elders of churches. Apparently, my last episode was listened to by quite a few pastors So right now, if you are listening, this is directed to you. Pastor Jacob and Pastor Aaron and the elders from their church are going to be facing court. Now, these two pastors are evangelical pastors. They preach the same gospel, the same death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that you preach, the same salvation by repentance and belief that you preach. These men are your brothers. And you should be in the courtroom standing with them. To not stand with them is to stand opposed to them. Romans 13 seems to be the new chapter that has suddenly become the favorite chapter of every pastor in Ontario. And I'm going to talk about that chapter in just a minute. But first, let's skip ahead one chapter to Romans 14. Now, when Paul wrote Romans, the divisive issue in the church was that, were they allowed to eat meat offered to idols? Now, remember, the Romans at this time were trying to force the church to worship false gods. And later in history, men and women of God were going to be killed brutally because they refused to put just a little bit of incense on the altar. For other people who are listening who are interested in this part of church history, I'm going to put a link to an episode of church history called just a pinch. But it was a really serious issue. People wanted to please God, and they wanted to do the right thing. Paul felt that it was okay to eat food offered to the idols, but he also made it clear that if someone felt convicted to not eat the food, and they did it anyway, that would be sin. Also, if you were with someone who was convicted about not eating that food, you were also not allowed to eat it. Let me just read a little bit of that for you. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification, 
Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. So to the pastors, if another pastor or another group of elders, after praying, felt that God was telling them clearly that they needed to open or keep the church open, and they refused to follow that conviction, for that pastor, it would be sin. We should all agree that the only one who will face God one day and give an account of how that church was shepherded is the pastor of that church. Doug Ford is not going to give an account of how Trinity was shepherded. And you, if you are not a pastor of Trinity, you will not be giving an account one day to God about how Trinity was shepherded. Only Pastor Jacob will. And it should be his choice and not the government's choice what he does. You might be making a different choice for your church, but you should agree that he should be the one making the choice for his church. So if your brothers have said they feel strongly that they are to keep their doors open and they feel convicted about that, then you should be supporting that decision. Of course, if they were doing something that went directly against the word of God, that would be a different story. But in this case, they are doing and saying what you did and said just one year ago. My children are in sports and they have had practices on Sunday mornings for years. We have not allowed them to attend these practices on Sunday mornings because we believed that as a family, we needed to be at church on Sunday mornings. A lot of other parents made different choices. Now, if I had stood before you one year ago and I had said, I'm going to listen to some good worship music on the way to practice, and I'm going to listen to a good podcast with a good sermon on the way home from practice, and that is basically church. You would have told me that I was wrong. You would have said that church is more than a sermon and some music. You would have told me that church is community and that if I was going to be a godly mother, I needed to be in church with my children on Sundays. Now you have changed your definition of church. And now you are standing opposed to the pastor who holds a definition you held only one year ago. I understand that you believe the situation has changed. But this seems like perhaps we could say it's a situation that falls under the category of Romans 14. And if your fellow pastor does not do what God has called him to do, that would be sin. I would also say that you had better take a double, triple look to make sure you are doing what God has told you to do and that you're not simply just doing the easiest thing. Because closing your door and doing exactly what the government tells you to do is definitely the easiest thing. There is no risk involved, except for, of course, the eternal risk, where you will stand before God and you will give an account of the job you did shepherding his flock and caring for his church.
I had a few people contact me for my last episode. Some people really liked it. Some people really didn't like it. Some people were really angry. Some people were warning me because they knew other people who were really angry. And I said, I would be happy to talk to anyone, but I'm going to warn you. If you want to talk to me, and the first question I'm going to have for you is this. Have you contacted Pastor Aaron and Pastor Jacob? And have you given them your support? Because if you're contacting me because you're mad because I said some things about heritage or about the churches in Ontario, but you haven't contacted Pastor Aaron or Pastor Jacob to support them, there's a pretty good chance that you are exactly the type of pastor I was talking about in my previous episode. But now let's talk about Romans 13. It used to be John 3.16 was the main verse of churches, but Romans 13 over the last year has become such a popular passage for everyone. It's the fave part of the Bible now. What exactly does it say? Here we go. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, Whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. Okay, so what is this saying? Is it saying that no matter what your government does, you must obey? That every government is placed into power by God. Therefore, anything they say and do is from God? That if you are ever afraid of your government, that means you are probably disobeying God by disobeying your government. Has anyone in our churches held that position? One year ago, if I had said that that's what I believed Romans 13 said, you would have laughed at me. Of course, that's not what it means. Let me give you an example. Imagine you're getting gas and a car pulls up next to you. A man shows you his ID and says, I'm the mayor. Now I demand you pay for my gas and pump my gas, and also do my windows. Are you obligated to do that? Of course not. Let's say you're walking on the street and you see a police officer attacking a man. And just to paint a picture for you, he puts his knee on the neck of that man and says he can't breathe. Do you say, well, you're the one in authority, so I guess you get to do what you want. Let's add some more make-believe to that because this didn't happen. But imagine the cop is white and the man is black and he's calling him the N-word and saying, I'm going to kill you. Do you say, well, Romans 13, clearly there are times you don't follow authority and even perhaps you fight back against authority when authority is being evil. Here's another completely absurd situation that of course would never happen. What if the government's just said, hey, everyone stay in your homes indefinitely. You can't visit your parents or your children, and if you feel sad or lonely, or you think you might harm yourself, call us. The police will come and help you. Do not have family come and help you. There's no going to church. No, you just stay in your homes until we say you can leave. 
Now, one year ago, you would have laughed at that unrealistic situation I just painted. But that is the situation we're in right now and have been in on and off for about a year now. Some of you are new to this podcast and over the last few weeks, I've posted some controversial ideas like churches shouldn't allow the government to decide when and how we worship. But for those of you who are new, usually this podcast looks at the history behind the news. I like to give a historical context to what's happening. And today I'm going to get back to that. So today I'm going to look at sometimes in history when the church has faced the question of Romans 13. Let's go all the way back to the 1680s in Scotland. Now, as a side note, this is where we are currently at in my church history podcast. And later tonight, I'm going to have an episode that's going to drop that goes into details of this exact story. So you're not going to want to miss that. But a really, really short version of the story is this. Charles II demanded that the church in Scotland acknowledge him as the monarch and the head of their church. He would allow them to continue to be Presbyterian and they wouldn't have to be Catholic or Anglican, but they would have to acknowledge that Charles II was the head of the church. Now, the Bible is really clear. Jesus is the head of the church. However, in order to simply live in peace with the government, about 80% of the churches agreed to sign a paper saying that Charles II was the head of the church. Those who refused to sign the paper were closed down. But the churches continued to meet. They met in fields and barns in the forest. And there was a teacher who was inspired by a little girl who was a powerful prayer warrior. And he began to speak out against the government and against the churches who had signed the document. That man was Richard Cameron, and he became known as the Lion of the Covenant. But one day, three women were captured. The women had not only been meeting in the secret churches, but had also been encouraging people to leave the churches that had signed the document and to follow the true church with Jesus Christ as the head. The women were Margaret, a woman in her 50s, and two sisters, Margaret and Agnes. The younger Margaret was 18 and Agnes was 13. The three were tried and found guilty and sentenced to death by drowning. The father of the two girls begged for them to be released, The court agreed to release the 13-year-old if the father gave up all his land and money to the court, which the father did. So the two Margarets were taken to the water. The older Margaret was taken out farther, and she was tied to a stake. The younger Margaret was tied to a stake closer to shore. The crowd watched as the tide came in, and the older Margaret struggled to survive and eventually drowned. The young 18-year-old Margaret now had water up to her knees. The executioner asked her if now that she had seen her mentor die, would she agree to say that the king was the head of the church? Instead, 18-year-old Margaret said this, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The executioner was so moved by her quoting of scripture that he said, Just pray for the king and I'll let you live. The water at this point had reached her face and she was struggling to breathe. She said, I pray the king will repent of his wickedness and turn to Jesus Christ. The crowd on the shore began to scream, You heard her. She prayed for the king to let her live. The executioner said, That is not what I meant. Die, you dog, and pushed her head under the water until she was dead. A young 18-year-old girl was braver and stronger than most of the church pastors in Scotland. Interestingly, just a few days later, Charles II died suddenly. Have we in history faced this question before? Who is the head of our church? Is Doug Ford asking us to sign a paper saying he's the head of the church? No, even worse, he's just taken leadership of our churches. He's just decided he'll let us know when we can be open and how we can open and how we document our church attendance, when we can sing and what we must wear inside our churches. He is not the head of our church. And yet, as did Scotland in the 1680s, most of the churches in Ontario are doing exactly what he says. Now, had all the churches in Scotland said no to Charles II, he would not have had the power that he had. It was the church leaders who agreed with him who gave him his power. And it was the church leaders who refused to stand up as men of God that led to the execution of the two Margarets. But let's look at a little bit more recent history. Did you know that when Hitler took over Germany, there were 45 million Protestants? 45 million men and women who claimed to be followers of Jesus Christ. The Protestant church became divided into three groups. Those who were good followers of Romans 13 and did everything the Nazis told them to do. A second, smaller group called the Confessing Church, who believed that the Jews who had converted to Christianity should be protected by the church. In fact, did you know when Hitler came to power, there are pastors of Protestant churches who were Jewish by blood. The confessing church said, we must stand for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, regardless of their nationality. And then there was a third, much smaller group. They didn't have a name. They were just the secret underground group of Christians that believed None of the Jews should be treated this way, regardless of if they had converted to Christianity or if they were still practicing Jews. Hitler outlawed the preaching of the Old Testament, and then he outlawed the preaching of anything written by Paul. The church that went along with the Nazis, they just found parts of the Bible they could preach out of. They made it work during this difficult time period. The Confessing Church 
refused to allow the Nazis to tell them what parts they could or could not preach from. But the underground church, they didn't even have a church to go to because they didn't trust anyone. Most of them were arrested and ended up in the concentration camps along with the Jews. Corrie ten Boom, my very favorite historical figure, was one of those women. I firmly believe that had all 45 million Protestants stood for Christ, the Holocaust wouldn't have happened. But for the Germans, who could see things happening around them, however, they could go home to their warm house and they could eat cooked food. They could even go to church on Sundays and they could see that their pastors seemed to be okay with things. Maybe this new normal was just the way things are now. I mean, if even the pastors are going along with it, then it's probably not that bad. There are other things we could talk about through history. What about the Jim Crow laws or the residential school system in Canada? There were unjust laws given by unjust governments, and yet both American and Canadian evangelical churches didn't stop them. Abortion came to Canada and America, and it was the Catholics that opposed it, not the evangelicals. Euthanasia is legal in Canada now, and once again, silence. The definition of family was changed. Family was created by God, so the state has no right to change that definition. And although the evangelical churches in America were vocal about the change in the definition of family, the Canadian churches were silent. When Paul wrote Romans 13, did he mean that we follow the government no matter what, under all circumstances? The fact that most of Paul's letters were written from prison would suggest that he did not mean that at all. So churches are now being told we must keep our doors closed and move to just online services. Let me ask you, what would you do if you didn't have that option? What if there was no internet? If all of this had happened back when I was in high school and closing the doors meant you had no way to make sure everyone heard the gospel, would you still close the doors? Or do you feel justified because you have this internet option? Is your response that as long as people can still hear what you have to say, then it doesn't matter that the church is closed? Because the internet doesn't give us the option to fellowship with each other, which is actually the definition of church. We can look back in history and we can see that the church heroes of the faith were not the ones who went along with the government in order to have peace. The church heroes are the ones tied to the stake as the tide comes in or who find themselves in concentration camps because as it turns out, some things are worse than death. Standing before God and knowing you did nothing while the godless government who stands for everything the church opposes took over your church. To me, standing before God one day and knowing that you did absolutely nothing while the godless government who stands opposed to everything that God is, while that godless government took over the church. To me, to stand before God with that knowledge, that to me would seem a lot worse than death.